Be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 28, uh, the English Standard Version uh, of the verse has this. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Joy and hope. The joy that is the fruit of hope. Over the last uh, 12 trips that I've made out to Thailand uh, to visit the Karen people, I've been accustomed to, two, uh, to a, a contrast. Uh, there's the contrast between what one meets in Bangkok and what, what one meets uh, further up country. Bangkok, where most people enter the country, is a sprawling uh, modern city. It's a city of exotic sights and sounds uh, it's a city that's ancient and modern at the same time. And it's a city that, in the minds of many people, is <coughs> synonymous with dissolute living. One survey recently reported that 60% of travellers to Bangkok had been drawn there uh, to different, differing degrees uh, by the sex industry. In the popular tourist areas uh, where you have the night markets, uh, the streets are filled at night with stands selling fake designer goods. And in the alleyways, not far off, there's a pound of loud music beckoning the Western tourists to one or other of the red light areas. The atmosphere is brash and excited. Uh, it represents a kind of joy. But in the refugee camps that house a quarter of a million Karen refugees, and in the villages of Karen State in Burma, and up in northwestern Thailand, there's a very different kind of joy. And on the first Sunday of our visit there, where we usually try to make our, our connection with the, the Karen people in Mela Camp, the church that is connected to the Bible College will be filled with five, six hundred uh, worshippers, mainly young people, uh, wearing the traditional Karen costume, white shirts. For the, the girls, red shirts uh, for the boys. And there is a, a sense of, of deep and sincere uh, adoration of the living God. Uh, there is an, an unostentatious passion in the worship that characterizes these people. Written on every face is a joy in the Lord shining out. Two different joys. One joy that's based on personal pleasure and indulgence. A joy that will soon disappear and leave many a pleasure seeking, waiting for the return flight, feeling empty and alone. And the other joy that is based on Christian hope. Hope that God is not only with them, in their situation of great difficulty, but that he will bless them. Hope that they belong to Jesus, that one day they will be in his presence. Paul himself acknowledged that, uh, that there is a non-Christian kind of joy. Uh, it's a joy that uh, seizes the moment because it has no hope for the future. And he contrasted uh, it with the, the hope of joy 
which led him and other Christians to endure great suffering. He says, if I fought wild beasts at Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You see, Paul could see that there was a certain logic in the way that the world, the pagan world, uh, behaves. The, the non-Christian's thinking is based on instant gratification. If we had to have <coughs> pleasure, then we need it now because we don't have any hope. Let us eat and drink now because tomorrow we die. But for the Christian, we don't live for instant gratification. We know that we have a hope that we have a blessing, that we have a reward that lies beyond. So this joy that we are commanded to have, be joyful in hope, it's of a distinctive kind. And we're going to look at what it is like and to see how it is produced by hope. And then thirdly, as we come to a conclusion, we're going to think of how it is we can cultivate this uh, hope-based joy in a life that we live here on earth which is full of its ups and downs. So let's look first of all at the nature of Christian joy. Firstly notice this, that joy is not an act of the will. It's not something that you decide to, to do or be. Uh, there is the danger in thinking that because it's commanded of the Lord that it must be something that uh, we can uh, decide on, that we can deliberately turn on. Peter 1.9 says, though you have not seen him, you uh, love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's a wonderful <coughs> verse, one of my favorite verses. John Piper, when he's commenting on this, uh, he says that when Peter speaks of rejoicing with an inexpressible and glorious joy, he's not describing a decision, but an explosion. He defines, Piper defines joy as a spontaneous emotional response of the heart. We can all see that, can't we? It's, a, it's, it's an emotional response. So you can decide to brush your teeth. Uh, you can decide to cook your dinner. You can decide to go to church. But you can't decide to be joyful. Now, bearing in mind the fact that joy is commanded uh, in the Bible, and we're going to return to that, but notice for the moment, joy shares this feature, Christian joy shares this feature with other kinds of non-Christian joy. It's a spontaneous emotional response. So we can decide to do things uh, which we hope might lead to joy, like going for a walk in the hills or going for a curry, but we might find that the joy will not be there. So you can't decide to be joyful in that simple, straightforward sense. Christian joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit blows where he wills. So, it shares this feature with other kinds of joy. It's a spontaneous emotional response. Where it is different, as we've said, is that it is caused by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. First Thessalonians uh, 1 verse 6 says that the Christians received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that produces joy within the Christian. So both joys are produced by something, but Christian joy isn't the result 
of our circumstances, but it is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so it doesn't depend on the weather or on how well we are. It's produced by the Spirit of God. And therefore, it is more solid. It is more robust. It is more durable than ordinary worldly joy that is dependent upon our circumstances. So John Newton, uh, in his great hymn, Glorious Things of the Earth Spoken, uh, speaks of solid joys, solid joys and lasting pleasure none but Zion's children know. That's the the heritage, the blessing of the people of God. Uh, A solid joy produced by the Holy Spirit doesn't depend upon our circumstances. And so in everyday life, within the fellowship, we see how this works out. That we have brothers and sisters who can be going through terrible circumstances. You know, their personal lives can be heartbreaking, but they can still know the joy of the Lord. Someone can be bereaved, and yet they know the joy of the Lord. When we think, if we were to have a a poll tonight and and say, which part of the Bible do you most associate with the the theme of joy? Most of us would say Philippians. It's the epistle of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Who's saying this? A jailbird. Paul's in prison. His life is, is pretty grim. But he's rejoicing. Because Christian joy does not depend on our outward circumstances But it depends upon the Spirit of God. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. An emotional response, a spontaneous emotional response. It's produced by something, not an act of our will, but it's a result of the Holy Spirit's work. And so it is durable, solid and lasting. How does this hope relate to Sorry, how does this joy relate to hope? We're told to uh, be joyful in hope or rejoice in hope. Let me uh, point you to to three areas where the Bible connects uh, joy with hope. Three different areas. The first of these is the hope that's associated with salvation. Salvation brings joy. The gospel is a light that shines And banishes the darkness and the gloom of sin. Isaiah the prophet, speaking of the coming of salvation through Jesus to the nations, speaks of it as the coming of light and joy. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as men rejoice when dividing the plunder so here we have it sin is the great uh, joy spoiler but the gospel salvation restores joy sin thrives by offering fleeting experiences of joy which only mock But the reality is that people are all the time walking in the gloom of darkness. And the gospel comes and there is light and hope and joy. That's what it is in our own personal experience. For the first time we hear the good news that God has provided for me a saviour. 
who has loved me so much that he died for my sin, that he shed his own blood so that I might be made right before God, that all the, the sin of my life might be dealt with, that my life might have meaning. I have a saviour who can break the chains of the things that bind me, whether it's a particular addiction or a destructive way of living or a, a way of speaking to others that damages and bruises people. I can be freed from that. We're brought into this amazing relationship with God because uh, we're united to Jesus, the Son, by the Holy Spirit. We are brought close to God. We are made intimates with the living God. We are empowered to call God Father. We discover that God is well disposed towards us. Once we were children of wrath, now we are children of the living God, children and heirs. And Jesus, our, our Savior, told a couple of mini parables which illustrate something of the joy of entering into salvation. And the first is the parable of the hidden treasure. Concerns the man who comes across treasure trove in a field. Uh, perhaps he was plowing for a neighbor. And as he guides the, the plow behind the, the ox, he hears the metallic clink of the, the plowshare uh, hitting a, a metal box. And he discovers that there is some buried treasure. And the only problem is that the field, uh, that, he, that he cannot claim the treasure because the field doesn't belong to him. And so he has to leave his, his work. He has to go and raise the money to buy the field. And Jesus says that he went with joy. And having raised the money, he buys the field and claims eagerly the treasure. And then there's the accompanying parable. These are lovely little pictures that Jesus paints. The parable of the merchant, the pearl merchant, uh, who's looking out in the, the, the stalls and the marketplaces for pearls and comes across this, this beautiful pearl that surpasses anything he's seen before. And he knows that uh, it's beyond all that he has with him. And he goes and he, he raises finance to buy this pearl. And Jesus doesn't mention in the pearl, but we assume that he goes with joy likewise to uh, get the wherewithal to purchase the pearl. And he has it. Now, the, the point of the, the parables, of course, is that the kingdom of God is, is of great value. And the wise man or the wise woman uh, will forgo whatever it, it is necessary to forgo in order to enter the kingdom of God. We don't purchase salvation by our good works, but we, we're told to count the cost. Jesus says that there are things that we need to leave aside uh, if we're going to follow him. And it's a no-brainer. It's such a valuable thing to know Jesus that for joy we will do whatever it takes to close in with the offer of the gospel. The man who finds the treasure goes off with joy. Uh, likewise, the merchant, they, they haven't at that point in the parable come into full possession of the treasure or the peril, but they have this glorious hope. Hope has brought them great joy. We think of our own Christian experience. If uh, we're all at different stages of, of the Christian life, if we're uh, fresh on the Christian path, then uh, we think of the, the joy uh, that it is uh, to, to come into 
God's presence, to be able to, to speak to God as, as our Father when once uh, He was nothing to us. Uh, and however long or however short has been our journey so far, uh, we, we realize that so much still lies ahead of us. When, when you're converted, uh, in a sense, nothing has changed. You're still who you are. You're still in your context. You, you still have certain difficulties in your life to overcome. You haven't gone to heaven straight away. But you have this glorious hope that your sin has been forgiven. That you're in a new relationship with God. That you'll be in his presence one day. Salvation brings hope. Secondly, there's joy in the knowledge that God, uh, because he is king, uh, is going to grow his kingdom. Both in our own personal lives and in the world around us. God will grow the kingdom. That's great. Brings us great joy. There's a lot of discouragement uh, in the world. Uh, in our own country especially. We, we, we speak about living in a day of small things. But we have the promise of Jesus that he will build his church. And there's a, a wonderful uh, section in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 21, where Jesus is listening to the report of the 72 who were sent on mission. And we read, Luke tells us, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Now, Jesus' joy is remarkable, isn't it? Uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, we, we often overlook the fact that because Jesus took on a true humanity, he had a, a real emotional life. That he experienced joy and sadness. We often overlook the fact that Jesus had a religious life also on earth. He, he took part in, in, in worship and prayed to the Father. But he had an emotional life. And part of that emotional life was joy. And notice here again that it is joy caused by the Holy Spirit. Full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And the object of that joy is the fact that the kingdom is advancing as the Holy Spirit comes and comes not to the wise nor the learned, but comes to people who are little in the world's eyes, who are like children, the humble poor, and is opening up their hearts to receive the gospel, uh, is illuminating their minds, sovereignly bringing them to faith. And that joy is ours too, as we see the progress of the gospel. Uh, we should be hungry for good reports of the advance of Christ's kingdom. You know, there is no, there is no great more exciting life than the life of the Christian. There is no more fulfilling calling than to, to serve God, uh, to 
to be engaged in any kind of way in proclaiming Christ, however informal uh, it is the way that, in which we do that. We never know how God is going to, to work. We, we cannot anticipate the ways in which he will, he will bless. Sometimes blessing uh, work that is done and sometimes simply uh, in a sovereign way bringing someone to himself in a part of the town that was never visited in the door-to-door program uh, in a, a way that wasn't the focal point of the church's outreach. God is sovereign. Uh, he surprises his people. He loves to surprise us with joy. And the angels in heaven, Jesus says, rejoice. They're filled with joy over one sinner that repents. And we're able to share in that joy too when we see someone to come to, to Christ. Uh, when we behold the, the, the wonderful way in which, which God seems to, to draw to himself in this sovereign way. Uh, people who had shown no interest or who were highly skeptical or who were living lives that were very unchristian. So we rejoice uh, because of salvation. We rejoice because uh, Jesus is uh, growing his church. He's, he's keeping his promise to build the church. And amazingly, we rejoice also in suffering. We can have hope in the midst of our sufferings. And it's because of hope in our suffering that we can have joy. Now, the hope that sustains Christians when they suffer is the knowledge that your suffering in God's purposes can be something which is productive. Our, our mistake is often to, to always think of our problems as being destructive and negative. Now, we know that suffering in itself is not a good thing. But because God is working all things together for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, even our sufferings and our trials are part of this marvelous plan to do his people good. And so, again, we're able to see beyond it with hope. We look to the, the positive that God has in the most perplexing and most difficult, constraining circumstances. And again, Jesus is the wonderful example of uh, hope in the midst of suffering bringing joy and in particular his experience on the cross now think of what the cross was like from the purely human perspective if ever there was a situation of dismal failure surely it was the cross to the eye of the bystander uh, every, in every respect, it was the rejection of the man on the cross. It was the rubber stamping of failure. The dream had turned into a nightmare. But hope lifts us above our present circumstances and beyond our setbacks and our rejection and our defeat and looks forward, looks to the future, looks to the ultimate picture. And so Jesus was filled with hope on the cross, a hope that would issue in joy. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising its shame. 
It's wonderful. Jesus could look with disdain on the shame that was associated with the cross. He could endure and be obedient even to death because of the hope that his cross work was productive. Isaiah, he shall see the fruit of the travel of his soul and be satisfied. Travail, women travailing in childbirth, a productive agony. The productive agony of the cross. And we have hope even in the midst of our suffering because we know that suffering is somehow not a part of life that's out with the sovereign direction of God. It's part and parcel of God's working. And it is used of God to produce good. Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And we have it again, that indissoluble link between our hope and joy. Hoping in our sufferings and as a result rejoicing in them. Rejoicing because we know that beyond them lies something good. That our suffering in God's hands is productive of character and will lead to our reward. One of the, the Beatitudes which is most stunning is the, uh, the exhortation our Lord gives to us to rejoice when we're persecuted. Isn't it? It's so striking, isn't it? It's so counterintuitive that we should rejoice uh, when people are throwing insults at us, when they're despising us. Blessed are you when people insult you. Persecute you. Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. <laughs> what is Jesus going to say? <coughs> Grit your teeth and endure it because it will soon be past. Is that what Jesus says? No. Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad. Because you have gained now. Because you, you're going to prosper in some way. No, 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 because you have a hope. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Our hope means that we can rejoice even in the midst of the most awful things. The most awful opposition. Uh, we need to keep our eye on what lies ahead. So finally, as we conclude, uh, in practice, uh, how do we cultivate joy? How do we cultivate joy in our lives? We can't decide to be joyful, but there are things that we can do which, which lead to joy, which God wants us to do, which will be owned of the Holy Spirit and result in joy. Well, first of all, we look in the direction that hope always points us towards, which is to the future. Remember we said that the essence of non-Christian thinking is instant gratification. They have no reason to, to defer gratification to, to some unknown future because they have no hope in anything uh, beyond the grave. In fact, the only 
a thing they can be certain of is the now. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. But as Christians, uh, we are called to wait on the Lord, to wait on our reward. We have at best, with all of the good that we have, that we rejoice in of Christ now. We have at best the first installment of all that lies ahead of us. It's a deposit. And so we keep our eyes on the promises of God. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Matthew Henry, the commentator, says, what is, laid out, out, what, is, what is laid out upon Christians is but little compared to what is laid up for them. Therefore, the more hope they have, the more joy and peace they have. Christians should desire and labor after an abundance of hope. So we think in the promises of God. The promises that point us beyond the gunk to the glory. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy of being compared to the glory that shall be revealed. All the promises that God has given you in the word of your future uh, glory with Christ. Think on these. Secondly, we, we learn as Christians, as we go through the ups and downs of life, we learn to try to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's a command. Share the joy of others who've come into the blessings of the Christian life. You know, it's so easy to focus our thoughts on what's going wrong in our lives, uh, to be down uh, on ourselves and others all the time, or even to, to somehow derive some enjoyment from the setbacks uh, the comeuppances of other people. First uh, Corinthians 13, Paul says that love rejoices in the truth. So let's be able to rejoice in the triumph of the truth, uh, wherever it is uh, around us. And not to have any uh, sneaking smugness and the, the downfall of others. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And then finally, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus because he is supremely our future hope. Think of the Lord. Uh, we, may, we can make it part of our daily meditation to, to dwell upon the beauty of Jesus. His strength and majesty. His compassion and gentleness. They, it was because the early Christians thought much of the Lord Jesus that they were characterized by a joyful hope. Again, uh, that verse from Peter, that beautiful verse in 1 Peter, though you have not seen him. He had seen the Lord, but they hadn't seen him yet, but they were looking forward to seeing him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Rejoice in hope. Amen. May God bless to us these meditations on his word.